Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here with us this morning. We thank you for the ministry that you do in us to illuminate the Word of God and that your purpose is to glorify Christ, to lift Him up and to display His glory and His beauty among the nations. Spirit, help us to image you, to reflect your role in making much of Jesus. And as we go through this next passage in Exodus, that you have written through holy men that you brought along, I pray that Christ would be glorified once again, which is always your intent and always your purpose. May it be to the glory of the Father. May it be a display of the grace of Christ. And may we rest in your fellowship this morning as you illuminate and bring out the Scriptures to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus 29. Starting in verse 10. Now we've gone through um, the first part of the, um, the ordination ceremony of the priests. And if you remember from last time, well, do you remember from last time? What happened? What's gone on so far? They've been washed. That was a very humbling thing we talked about at probably some length last time. Um, they were then clothed with what? The garments that had been prepared for them. They didn't bring their own clothes. Garments had been prepared for them. They were dressed from head to toe by the mediator. Um, they, had, um, they had also brought some other things. What had they brought? Some animals. What animals? Bull and rams. Thank you so much. Yes, a bull, one bull, and two rams. Today we're going to look at the second part of this ordination ceremony. And um, it, involves, it involves some sacrificing. We're going to look at this. They're commanded to bring the bull and the two goats to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Let's start in verse 10. Just read through verse 25. Exodus 29. It says, Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, and its skin, and its dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. 
It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the side of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces on its, and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and on his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. What an odd ceremony. Doesn't that strike you as odd? What is going on here? Well, probably not some of it. But think about how it starts. The bull. Why do they lay their hands on the bull? What's going on there? Sorry? Takes all of them to kill it. <laughs> I was thinking that it's kind of like saying, "Let my sin be placed symbolically on on this animal." Okay. I don't know. There's a transference issue there, right? That's the term that we use for it. Um, it's saying, "Let all of my iniquity, all of my sin, all of the thing that is wrong with me, be transferred to this animal." There's an identification made with this animal. The animal is then sacrificed in their place, making atonement for them. Okay? That's interesting. That kind of has some Christological implications we can talk about, sure. What do they do with the blood? What's going on with the blood? First of all, Think of the visual. How do you slaughter a bull? It's very clean, very pristine. Yes? Thinking of all these garments they just 
you've been washed. You've had these intricate garments made. They're clean. They're just perfect. They're squeaky behind the ears and everywhere. And so they get this blood from this bull. What's up with that? Everything's new. Everything's clean. Everything, right? It's clean. What does he tell them to do with the blood of this bull? Put it on the horns of the altar. Now, how much blood of a bull does it take to put on the horns of an altar? Are bulls cheap? No. Very expensive. And they take the blood from this bull and they smear it on the... Remember the altar, the bronze altar in the front has, a, has these horns. Do you remember what the horns represented? I, we had this discussion. So what do they represent? You can take a hold of them to plead for immunity, for mercy. The horn in, at that time uh, typically symbolized the authority and the power of a thing or of a, of a person. You see some of this referenced in, in Daniel's uh, visions of so-and-so has three horns or whatever and one speaks. And it's a symbol of power and authority. And so all of the authority that the thing has is now smeared with not much blood, really, I mean, it may have been a lot, but it's smeared on the horns of this altar. What's done with the rest of it? Thrown at the base. That's a lot of blood to just be smeared on the horns of an altar. Don't you think? That's a lot of money to be just put on the few wipes of smeared blood on the horns of an altar. Um... Why would he do that? What is, it, what is the picture there? What is he saying by having them do this? High price. For what? For sin. Um, we're not really told what this uh, represents here, but other places we see that it is first for atonement, for sin, and also for purification. What's the atonement and purification for? For what is the atonement and purification? I did it again. Prepositions are killing me. What, what, is it, what, is it, what is it they're doing with this? What are they purifying? What are they atoning for? Is it the priest? Or is it the altar? The beginning ceremony for them in consecration is to purify the altar. The altar will be used to atone for the sins of the people, and it takes a bull for the people. I mean, this is a huge price to pay for very little blood on the altar itself. And so the instrument of their atonement is now being purified and, and purged. And there is, a, there is part of it, too, is the atonement of the, of the priests themselves, yes. But the symbol is we're consecrating the, 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 the instrument that is going to be used to, to atone. Yes? So it's like they say, they say the priest and this is the bath for the altar. At this point, yes. At this point, yes. And, and, and notice that they're not washing it with water. Right. They're bathing it in blood, so to speak. Not really bathing even. They're just kind of just smearing it a little bit. Um, now... Something else is going on here. When I, when, I eat, when I eat steak, 
my mama always told me to cut the fat off the steak, right? It's the thing, you cut the fat. I have since changed my opinion on that, by the way. Mm. But the, the, the typical thing is you don't want to eat the fat and the meat. It's kind of a bad thing for your heart, and people get all the clemped and they're going to gazoink about that. So the point is, why is that the portion, that's a term of art, the clemped and your gonectogazoink, you may have heard. Yeah, it is a southern New York thing. Anyway, um, why is that portion being sacrificed to God? Why would the fat stuff be sacrificed? Wouldn't a T-bone be better? It <laughs> doesn't want to worry about heart problems. Um, maybe. <laughs> Not really. It's supposed to be, it's, it's a term of art that's used for the choicest parts of meat. The fattest part of the meat is considered the choicest part of meat. All of these, and, fla- and the flavor, yes it is. The liver and kidneys, also the most um, life-giving, nutritive organs. Okay, so it is not only the most tasty, but also the most healthy parts of it, the most uh, vitamin-enriched kind of areas. Yes? So, um, all of the parts, additionally, were used in pagan practices of divination at the time. So another part of this may be, in addition to the fact that it's the best part and you're giving that to God, another part of this may be that uh, they're burning these parts of the animal up so that they will not be tempted to use them as an, in a pagan ritual. It could be part of that as well. They're tempted not to, they won't be tempted to act like their neighbors. Um, only part of it is burned. What's done with the rest of it? It's taken outside the camp. And what? It's burned too, but burned where? Outside the camp. So this outside the camp. Uh, this uh, is the first time this phrase is used here in the, uh, in the scripture. And it becomes a term of art, an idiom in Hebrew language for something. Becomes an idiom for referring to the place of things that are defiled and uncleaned. They're taking the skin, they're taking the leftovers, they're taking the dung, they're taking it outside the camp, setting it on fire. It's the place of, of um, well, they put lepers outside the camp, right? Uh, they, they, somebody who blasphemes God, um, we see later on that they stone them outside the camp, the place of the cursed. Um, it becomes a, a phrase that symbolizes, that, that comes to represent the cursed place, yes. And hmm. the part that is it that he's not concerned about is the outer part. And this offering. The skin. Yeah. The... That's interesting. Yeah, I, I thought about that. We should talk more. Oh, well, um, I don't know if there's anything to ever know. No, that's again, this is a this is an atonement offering. Um and the rest of it is burnt outside the camp. Um then then there is a, another animal brought. A ram. And the first ram is brought to the entrance. And again, we see this whole idea of placing their hands on the ram, an idea of transference of all that is wrong with them, a sign of identification. Then the ram is also sacrificed for atonement and purification. What's different, though? What's different? The ram is offered as a sacrifice. 
What do they do with the blood in this one? Besides the bone, not the base, not the they, they do what now? They throw it on the sides of the altar, not the base, not the horns, but they throw it on the sides. Listen to the language there. Get the visual of that. They're throwing this bowls of blood on the side of the altar. Does that, like, does that sound like a, a calm, um, peaceful, serene scene? <laughs> the animals are dead, yes. The, the, the bleeding of the, the, the ram has stopped. Uh, they've drained the blood and they've thrown it. Think of a crime scene. A violent scene. Is the blood just sprinkled or is it thrown, splattered, violently uh, discharged to its ending location? It's a very violent scene, yes? Do you see the picture here? What does judgment entail? They've transferred their iniquity. They've transferred their identifying with this goat. They're saying, this should be me. The blood is thrown against the altar. Yeah. First it was poured at the base, mm -hmm. thrown on the side, mm -hmm. and then the last ram, or the, the last, yeah, there's two rams, so mm -hmm. Them. them, right. So it's kind of, um, you mentioned one time when we were going through the plagues, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. how um, the plague started low and mm -hmm. ended. Yeah. Is there any correlation here? Well, maybe. I think, I think it starts with the altar. I think that's where it is. And the altar with the, the, is fully consecrated here. All this time, when they're splashing blood, they're daubing blood, they're getting it on themselves. Mm -hmm. Um. This is just these, what we're looking at this morning is just three animals, and and think of the blood that's involved with three. Uh, there are instances in Kings, for example, where they're sacrificing thousands of bulls, thousands of goats. Think of that scene. What's involved there? I think we've sanitized the Bible way too much. This is a bloody, bloody thing. Um, but what's going on uh, with the second ram? Then we, we well, let me let me ask you this: um, What's this deal with the pleasing aroma? God is soothed by barbecue. What what is that all about? What does that mean? Pleasing aroma. It's true. It's, we know that the South really is God's country. <laughs> yeah, none none at all. What, uh, what is up with the language of pleasing aroma? What does that mean? Does God need food? So it is a, 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 an effect of obedience, a consequence of obedience, that it is pleasing to Him, that it's accepted mm -hmm. by Him. And in fact, that's... That's how the term is used later on, an acceptance of God. This is um, Notice that he's using language. In, in pagan cultures, the idea was you do feed the God. You burn it up so that, you know, Dagon could eat because he gets hungry in the spirit world. And so um, 
the, the idea was you, you feed the God, you, you invite the God in, you, in, uh, you know, do this kind of thing. That, that loses its meaning in Scripture that God is fed by this. That's just not part of the mentality of the way the Scripture is drafted. Um, wh- what you see is uh, a, a, an idea of God being pleased with it and it, uh, accepting it. Not that he needs anything. Right? He's, he's sufficient in himself. He didn't need to create us. He didn't need to create the world. He didn't get lonely. In himself, he is community. But this shows his acceptance of what they're doing in obedience to, um, to what he's commanded. Second ram. What's going on here? They're told to bring the second ram, and like the other animals, again, you see this transference again. We put the hands on it, it, they identify with it. But after they slaughter the second ram, something odd is done. Placed on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right great toe, which I'm assuming is the big one. Someone always stump. That's very odd. That's very, very odd. Why, first of all, think of that gooey blood being rubbed on your ear and on your thumb and on, and on your toe. Well, it's from head to toe. Well, it's from head to toe. <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it was noticeable somehow that it was a little different because they're they're daubing it on. Um, wh- <laughs> why are we doing this? What's going on here? Okay. Well, the, okay. Let's, there's a hymn involved. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Two stages here. First, Aaron is daubed with the blood, and then his sons are daubed with the blood. What, what is demonstrated by this? Why the right side, not the left? Why the ear, the thumb, and the toe, and not the nose, the chin, and the, you know, I don't know. Shin. Shin. Thank you. I was looking. Maybe. Maybe. We are, we're not told, are we? I mean, those are all good hypothetical answers, but we're not, we're not told. Sorry. Oh, Grant, I am, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> good to see you. We're never I don't know. We're talking about the slaughter of animals this morning, so do with that what you will. Um, the, this underscores... Uh, First of all, because he takes the, the, the high priest first and then the pre, other priest later, it underscores the preeminence of the high priest, the, the authority that he has, the importance that he has among the rest of the priesthood. There's only one other ritual that we see. What, yes, ma'am. The you. Is that plural or is that God talking to Moses? Moses. Okay. The mediator is doing this to them. Okay. Yeah, that's the mediator doing this. And, and presumably in, in generations later, it is the high priest 
doing it to ordain additional priests or Right. Yeah, that would be the priest doing it. Okay. But but the the actual ordination of the of the daubing of the blood on the ear, the thumb, and the toe—that's at least in my understanding of the language. That's Moses doing that to them, and later on there would be others who would take up that role uh, for symbolically doing that as they're ordained as priests. But um, but so there's only one other ritual in Scripture where this ear, thumb, and toe thing is going on, and it's in Leviticus 14. And Leviticus 14, 14 tells us the priest is to do this as an act of purification for lepers. What does that tell you? How do we come to the tent of meeting? As lepers. As unclean. As those in need of atonement as those who bring nothing to the table, but were washed, were clothed, were set apart, sanctified, purified by the blood. Is that the picture here? If Peter's right, and I think he is, that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart for his own possession, Isn't this a picture of what Christ is doing, has done for us? What the Spirit is doing even now in us? The first two animals are for atonement. This one is for purification. And that right side signifies kind of a power, standing, authority, and preeminence. You hear this a lot of times in language of referring to God and the power of His right hand. referring to Christ many times, the power of his right hand. His right arm is his own salvation. It's an it's a, it's a idiom. It's a, it's a term of uh, art for the Hebrew people that, or for that culture that, uh, of, of power, of authority. So think of all of this then. At the very end here, the priest's clothes are splattered with some of the anointing oil and blood from the altar. Imagine, if you can, the amount of blood just from these three animals. We've already talked about how would they be able to distinguish the ear, the thumb, and the toe. The amount of blood that now covers the horns, sides, and base of the altar, the priest's right earlobes, thumbs, and big toes, and the priests themselves along with their clothing. All of these things purified, set apart by the sacrifice of, well, basically by means of a bloodbath. And then it ends with a very odd scene. You take these three types of bread, you take a portion of the goat, and you wave it? What is that? What is so charismatic? I don't know. It's a wave offering. What is that? Well, it may be one of these things. Uh, it, I'm thinking of all the difference. Um, it, may be, um, it may be just a lifting up of it in consecration. We don't know what it looks like specifically, but we can probably guess. It, it, 
what matters is the significance that God gives to this offering. And he calls it, in the ESV, a ram of ordination. Uh, other translations would have, uh, have it be a ram of consecration. And normally the priest would keep that wave offering for himself, for his family, kind of a support for them, bread, meat. Um, but here, it's given back to the Lord as part of their consecration. The whole thing is offered on the altar. All of it is to be sacrificed on top of the first ram. The one for atonement. The one that had already been burnt on the altar. Uh, Incidentally, does, does the pattern here remind you of anything that we have read before in Exodus? Any, any, any pattern before? Yeah. That it was a promise or a covenant. Sure. Again, a symbol of authority, yeah, a symbol of. I was just wondering why his right side. Yeah. But yeah. Later with Jacob, right? Didn't God uh, wound his? On his right. Yeah, the right side uh, of him, I think. Is that a hip socket or something along that? I forget how it's translated. What, uh, what about Exodus? Is there anything familiar? We have um, a sacrifice, a smearing of blood, and an offering of what should normally be eaten back to the Lord. Passover, very good, yes. It's a three-syllable word that we're all waiting. Um, Passover, yes. The, the sacrifice is made for atonement, the smearing of blood for purification, and then the the meal for their sanctification, their setting apart, being set apart. It's a very similar idea. We no longer need the, the bloody priesthood or, or the bloody sacrifices that we see here. Thank God. Um, Christ has come once for all to shed His blood for eternal sanctification, eternal purification, and eternal atonement. Hebrews 9. I keep coming back to Hebrews in this. I, it's odd, I know, but just a great explanation of this. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, lepers, with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to rest, relax, have fun, bathe in the fact that we have grace and really not worry about anything about how we live. No. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, to serve him, Jesus, because of our sin, went to the place of the unclean and defiled and took upon himself the curse we deserved. The sinless one went to the cursed place for us. 
For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Hebrews 13.11 tells us. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Then he says something very interesting. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, take up. You could have your best life now. You, you want money? God will give you money. You want health? God will give you health. Is that what the author of Hebrews is saying? Go outside the camp. Meet him there. What is a nation of priests supposed to do? What does a priest do? He atones for the people to keep the sword of judgment from falling on them. It's not what we're called to do. To give an offer of peace to a people who are very much deserving of judgment, as we are, unless we're in Christ. But we have to go outside the camp and bear the reproach of the world for this offer of peace. The apostles use this imagery often in the New Testament. Uh, they use it of Christ, but they also use this uh, sacrificial language of you if you're in Christ. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The term that Paul uses here for sacrifice, um, if you're a nerd and just want to know it, it's thusian. It's the same word that's used in the Greek Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament that they used back in the time of Christ, um, for sacrifice that is used of whole burnt offering there in 29.18 that we just went over. The picture is a whole burnt offering. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to bring your bodies as a whole burnt offering, a living whole burnt offering. What's the picture there? Is that not obvious? Is there, yes, always. Is there a time in life, if you are in Christ, in which we are not to live as unto Him? We're a whole burnt offering living whole burnt offering. No matter what we do, it's to be to the glory of God, and rarely is that consistent with the moral values of this culture, or of any culture, frankly. David says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. <clears throat> with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's a living sacrifice. That's a whole burnt offering living out what we've been called to be, priests and ministers to one another. You're not your own. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. It was bloody. His blood was thrown everywhere so that yours would not be if you trust in Him alone. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling, not according to the whims of the culture, but to what is firmly fixed from eternity, imaging, reflecting the nature of God by how we live and treat one another. Any questions, any comments on this? Yes, ma'am. I, I never, I never saw anything about shoes. Okay. Well, and then secondly, going off of what Barbara said earlier, the first and second um, sacrifices were mm-hmm. just a bloodbath already. So mm-hmm. Why go ahead and have Moses put blood where there's already probably blood? Um, they, it's interesting because maybe they were already covered, mm-hmm. um, but they, it's not official until the mediator does it so just like us with good works mm. um, unless it's Christ who gives us who intentionally places his favor on us mm-hmm. there it's not it's not valid and the mediators the one responsible right so just because they had you know done what they're supposed to do you could be sprinkled with the effects of gospel preaching gospel community and not be in Christ and not be actively sanctified in Him. Is that the point you're making? That, that there's all kinds of residual effects of being in a Christian community. And you can look like it. Yeah. Like you can be, and act like it. You can be covered in stuff that flies off everybody else. But if it's not intentional, are you actively growing in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit? Actively growing in the fruit of His work in our hearts. Very good. Very good. Anything else? <clears throat> These archaic rituals are very challenging, aren't they? All right. Anything else? All right, I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done. Father, it is a humbling thing when we get the visual of these men standing at the tent of meeting doing nothing but receiving bloodbath. Though they may kill the animal, you provide the animal. And you provide the means by which they were atoned, which they were purified, and which they are set apart for service. Thank you, Father, that in your great wisdom you have provided Christ who died once for all to save his people. That it wasn't a potential. It wasn't a maybe he'll do it. It wasn't a this might be effective. But you are actively giving him a reward for his suffering by calling your people to yourself. 
creating a bride for him, continuing to build her, mature her, making her ready for the day that he will return. She'll be set before him as a bride without spot or wrinkle. Whose robes are white because they've been bathed in the blood of the Lamb. God, who is sufficient for these things? But I thank you that you have given us your word to impress upon us the depth of your mercy, the depth of your grace, and the seriousness of the calling which you've given us in Christ to reflect you wholly and with everything. What you've commanded us to do, we're not able to do. And so we ask for the strength of your Spirit within us to work in us while we're working. Help us to think. Help us to meditate on your Word and on your law. The words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.